Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 2nd of October 2017. I'm Joe and with me are Jesse. Hello there. Phelan. I like the night. And Ike. I like the day. That's a lie. You don't even know what's day or night at this stage. No, I'm very confused. <laughs> Send help. Ike's just back from New York and somewhat jet lagged, but we'll get to that in a bit. But before we get to that, let's do a bit of news. And Nextcloud introduces end-to-end encryption, or is going to introduce it once people fix it for them. Yay. <laughs> so you actually use Nextcloud on a regular basis, Phelan. I do. Are you looking forward to this encryption? Is it going to make any difference to you? Mm, I don't know. Uh, slightly terrified of encryption on a phone, because it's too easy to make a balls of it really um at least with a laptop you can take a backup handily yeah i know you can back up a phone but i don't know it just seems like a scary way to to lose your data um but yeah the way i think you can pick and choose what you want to actually do so that actually might be quite good where you could just do a folder whatever you could store client details on there or something like that that'd be kind of handy passwords.txt yeah yeah pretty much (laughs) but uh the whole whole data encryption like there was already an encryption plugin but uh i never used it it just scared the crap out of me to be honest i i I just always took it that whatever i put up there would not be trade secrets you know no coke recipe etc what about for deploying for clients do you never do that then i know you do kind of like phone systems and that normally but do you never do Nextcloud then uh, some people have used it, yeah, I use it internally with a VPN, it wouldn't be publicly accessible, it was just handy for sharing stuff around the office, stop people using email servers as a file share, which invariably happens, and yeah, end up with like 25 copies of the same rubbish strewn about your uh, exchange server, whatever, using this is a bit better, but... Um, but would encryption be, um, you know, a better sell there in Enterprise? Yeah, in those circumstances, are they coming to you saying we'd like to use this or are you suggesting something to them and, and it would work like Joe says as a selling point I've only suggested to people because I've seen what they were doing and saying you know you could do this thing and then shown it to them they've gone oh wow that's really good it's like having our own Google I was like yep that's it <laughs> <laughs> you took the words out my mouth <laughs> yeah so I mean they, they were cool that so um, because I don't know I mean I guess people get stuck in a way of doing things and you know everybody just keeps emailing the same junk around uh, you know, it's just not good. It's not even a secure protocol getting shared between stuff if you're sharing it to people externally and stuff. It's nice to be able to send somebody one of the, the links that can auto time out and stuff. So I quite mm. like that. What jumped out at me was the audit log. And that's like proper corporate style, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's the way to go because everybody's doing PCI and ISO nonsense these days. Um, you know, if you don't have those things, you're already starting to you'd be on the back foot. So you, you've got to build them in straight away. Um, so, I mean, a, a smart move. Yeah, and the fact that the um, the cryptographic identity, rather than having a really long and impossible to remember scramble of letters and numbers and numerals and things, it's just 12 standard words out of a dictionary. And because it's 12, you know, five, six, seven words long, you get a huge amount of data there and the encryption, therefore, is, is much better for the passphrase. But that actually means that you can remember it. You can type it back out the times that you you know you need to and unlock your stuff. So it's actually well, 
I doubt you'd have those 12 things every time once you've got your uh, once you've got your key but you know if you need to it's much more useful when I'm when I'm using LastPass and uh, I get you know a, a 20 character string I'm there like okay right this 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 so it's a it's a slick way of doing it I think but if you know that it's 12 dictionary words doesn't that make it easier to brute force I mean I know it's hard because it's a lot of characters but knowing that it is specifically 12 dictionary words means that Surely that makes it easier. I don't know. I don't know enough about this stuff. Matt says otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I think right. if it's if it's twelve n to the number of uh, words in the dictionary, it's it's uh, quite a lot of permutations plus variable length words. Exactly. Yeah, you'd have to go through all of the different words in the dictionary, not just like here's a five, here's a five, here's a five. They're all different lengths at different different places. Fair enough. Well, they do specifically say that other people know more about this stuff than them. Obviously, I'm not going to be helping them, but <laughs> they are being quite humble about it, at least, and saying, please help us. If we've done this wrong, which we probably have, then tell us how to do it correctly, which is nice to see. It's refreshing. But wouldn't you, you know, if you were in Nextile's position, wouldn't you go to uh, like, a, like a white hat and say, we need you to try and hack our stuff? That's, that always seems like the most obvious thing, no matter who you are. If you've gone to a company to say, please make me some encryption or, or please, uh, you know, make me a Bluetooth door lock or something. The first thing I would do is once someone's finished that, I'd then take it to another company and say, hack this and, and at least get, you know, the most obvious things out of the way. And I know it depends on which company you go to to try and do the hacking as to how good they are or how nefarious they are, if you will. But it just seems like the first thing to do. I mean, if they're still building up, you know, still in beta at the moment, so they're still building up their um, their actual code. So it seems like a sensible time to put that input in, but I'd like to see it, you know, um, sort of thrashed upon. Well, that's what bug bounties are for generally. And okay, they're not offering any money, but at least they're specifically asking, well, I suppose you could say they're asking people to do it for free. Um, but it would be, if you could find holes in this and tell them how to do it properly, then you could kind of put it on your CV. I suppose it's that um, that same thing of uh, interns, unpaid internship and all that stuff. But it's a community project. It's kind of a company and a community project, isn't it? So you can kind of understand why they want to just put it out to the community. And I think it's fair enough, really. If they'd come out and said that it was this finished thing and we're really proud of it and it's awesome and amazing then I'd have less sympathy for that attitude of get the co- the community to fix it. But they've they've been pretty clear about it, that it's not quite finished yet and uh, they want help. So fair play to them. So this has come up in the news and we're talking about Nextcloud. And I do, every time I hear about Nextcloud, think about own cloud and, and where it is. And obviously, as you're pulling together the news and you're, your fingers are very much in all the pies there, Joe, is there a lot of stuff with own cloud at the moment or is it just died a death is it just ticking over in the server space or have nextcloud basically got their pr machine absolutely to a t and own cloud just don't get a don't get a word in well i spend the best part of an hour reading news headlines and stuff everyday tech news and i probably hear more about um open office than i do about own cloud it's i have not heard anything since nextcloud happened i've basically not heard anything from own cloud so I don't know if anything is happening or whether it's their PR department isn't doing a good job, but it just seems to be all about Nextcloud. I'm still stuck on a mailing list somewhere that I can't get off of. And I get an odd newsletter about OwnCloud. And every time I get it, I go, oh, I must unsubscribe from that. (laughs) And then I forget. Yeah. Does it just say we're still here? Like a little wavy hand? Pretty much. I think so. Yeah. But um, oh, well. 
All right, well, let's move on. And a story that I considered putting into LAN yesterday, but then decided against because it was a fucking non-story. Apple has open-sourced some kernels and not any drivers or anything. Everyone seems to be getting excited about this, or they certainly were yesterday. But I just I don't get this. They had open-source kernels for macOS before. Now they've open-sourced some kernels for iOS. But it doesn't help you actually port anything to anything. So I just don't see how this is useful. Yeah, me too. That's why I was thinking, I've seen it in there as well, and I just don't understand why anybody cares. Really, it bears no use to anyone, and I'd be so scared to look at that if I was a developer, that you'd be caught up in a potential, um, you can't work on Linux kernel stuff if you do, uh, what do they call that? Uh, Like clean room implementation. that's it, that's it. All right, so Ike, whatever you do, don't click the link. Don't look at it at all, no? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm closing it now. (laughs) (laughs) Save me. Wouldn't you have to have some Apple-type hardware for this to then work on top of? Well, the thing is that when I first saw this story, I thought, wow, iOS kernels. So that means that maybe you might be able to port another OS to a device that comes pre-installed with iOS, so an iPhone or an iPad, or you might even be able to port iOS to another device. But then the more I read about it, the more I realized that it's not just the kernel and there's loads of drivers involved and loads of proprietary user land stuff. And the reality is that it's just not going to help anyone really. And especially as they put it out under their own Apple public license, which is quite restrictive by all accounts. So it's not even like they've done it under MIT or, you know, GPL. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's, it's just a bit of a non-story, but everyone seems to be talking about it or at least they were. And I think that as people have realized more about this, it's just become, it's died away and people have just realized it's a bit of a non-story. So who who put this in the dock? That's what I want to know. Ridiculous. Should have cut it out. Um, totally. Okay. <laughs> right. I'll take that as you, Jesse. <laughs> I'd incorrectly assumed it was failing. but um, So who put the MariaDB one in then? Yeah, I think that was me. So they've got loads of investment from Alibaba, like $27 million worth. I thought that, I I don't know, maybe, forgive my ignorance here, but I thought MariaDB was quite a small thing, but apparently not. Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting, the fact, the comparison between this and Solaris, the way it's gone. You have to wonder, is MySQL also going to go the way of Solaris? Because the way Oracle seems to touch things and they shrivel and die, that I thought it was quite a position that MariaDB's actually kicked off like this. It's quite, quite impressive. The thing is, though, that... MySQL is used by so many people all over the world, and it is GPL2. So I think that even if Oracle pulled the plug on it, it would still survive, even if it was forked again, I suppose. But but then I suppose, why would you need to fork it again when there's already a couple of forks? I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but I'm just surprised that MariaDB is worth so much, quite frankly. Well, people have influence, and when MariaDB first came about, it was forked for the right reasons, which was to take it away from the scary oven mitts of Oracle. Everyone was terrified because of what they were doing to Java or what they was doing to pretty much everything they touched. You know, it shriveled and died. Um, and it's a transparent drop-in, which is really handy. Like, it's very, very easy to update to MariaDB. If you had a MySQL database, you can switch over to it. Is that still the case now, though? Yeah. Oh, right. 
it's it's really really seamless and on top of that if you're another company you get to deal with a smaller open source project uh, you can invest in it nobody has any form of influence over something owned by oracle which actually competes with their proprietary products like oracle are competing with themselves with their proprietary and their open source solutions so it's it kind of makes sense to go to MariaDB for all this stuff in my opinion well this certainly inspires confidence i must say if a Chinese company is willing to invest $27 million into the company, then they're, they're obviously confident, and that fills me with confidence. And so mm. it makes me wonder, hmm, next time I throw a web server together, maybe I should consider MariaDB instead of MySQL. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's good software, and it keeps improving. And it's it's free of Oracle. I mean, look, I used to like Java. Like, a lot of <laughs> they destroyed it. and They have tablets for that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's a good one to support, and most people nowadays just default to it uh, in the Linuxy world, unless you're running like really old CentOS, in which case you're just fucked anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Do you use MariaDB then, Phelan? Uh Yeah, have have it on a few. Um, there's a couple that would still be um, LTS versions of Ubuntu that wouldn't have had it yet. It'd be on a, um, but they're coming up for upgrade anyway. So yeah. Be shifting to what, it. Fourteen oh four. Yeah, be fourteen oh four going up. Um, so they'll be right. upgrade soon the next year, I'd say, and then they'll go to probably Maria. To be honest, yeah. So if you were putting a sixteen oh four box together, you'd use Maria by default then. Yeah, I have already. All um, oh, right. It, it's got a couple of things that are a bit different with the the CLI tools and stuff like that, but uh, nothing major. I mean, nothing really major at all. And uh, that they're doing more work on a lot of the DB engines and stuff like that. So yeah. I think it's looking good. They're also really good for security as well. Like really, really good for the security updates when they come through. They're very transparent about it. You get the proper blog. And if anything's actually happened in MySQL, uh, MySQL as well, they'll also take those in. Like that affects the old parts of the code base. Yeah. Well, so that stuff effectively gets upstream to MySQL then? The fixes? Uh, in the other direction. So if anything happened that, if anything's happened in MySQL, it will also make its way into MariaDB, but they're also doing their own work on top of that. So it's stuff affecting like the real old legacy parts of the code base. So it's not like things are being left to rot, like some of the Bitcoin client forks. Right. Okay. Hmm. Well, I should definitely check it out then. Um, right. Let's talk about Facebook and React.js. I just keep thinking in my head React OS, but no, I'm going to not talk about React OS. <laughs> even though different. <laughs> well, now we are the, the only preeminent react os podcast because we've talked about it now that system au is no more rest in peace um so yeah basically they had this bullshit license facebook for um a few of their frameworks um including react js which was bsd plus patents which meant that you can't sue them if you use their license and loads of different projects were starting to say hang on this is bullshit we're not going to use it anymore including wordpress and basically any new apache um, projects couldn't use any of these licenses and it seems that it took wordpress saying fuck you to make facebook change their mind but now they have and now it's just mit so that's pretty win looks like yeah i think the thing that's interesting about this is that um as you pointed out so facebook were sort of 
making enemies with various companies. And so uh, on the Apache Software Foundation, they were saying that no one can use this uh, code because of the license it was under. And it was actually, it looks like WordPress sort of was the tipping point that meant that Facebook said, oh, maybe we've gone a bit too far on this one and, and railed it back a bit. But I sort of hadn't realized quite how big WordPress were, you know, what a, a behemoth they must be if Facebook are, are listening to them. If Apache says something, well, we'll carry on. But if WordPress does it, okay, maybe we've gone a bit too far. Um, it just sort of makes you realize, as you said, with MariaDB, how big some of these services are and, and how influential they are. Isn't WordPress running a third of the web? Is that a statistic that I heard? It's a massive number of websites are using WordPress in one shape or another. Because it's so versatile, so many plugins, you can have anything from a blog to a podcast to um, loads of e-commerce stuff, and it's it's free to download. And it, you, there's so many third-party companies who specialize in WordPress deployments and stuff. So, I mean, Phelan, you must have come across it a fair number of times in your work. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, no, thankfully I haven't had to touch it in ages, but it used to be an absolute pig because every time you'd upgrade it, it'd break everything. And you'd kind of look at the developer of the site and go, well, you seem to be adjusting things you shouldn't have. And I'm just going to step backwards now. <laughs> well, yeah, the fact is that WordPress... Now, if you leave it totally default and just use plugins or whatever, then it's fine. But the second you touch any of the code, forget about any auto updates or anything. Um, if you want to hack in some, you know, bit of even CSS and stuff, I've heard horror stories. So I personally would never touch it. I just install themes and plugins and that's it. But um, yeah, it is massive and yeah, massive enough to make Facebook change their mind, it seems. I mean, Facebook have spun it that they were going to change it anyway or whatever. But it seems to me pretty obvious that it's WordPress that that did it. So it's good to see anyway. Nice to see that they went for a, a nice, truly free license like MIT. No, <laughs> 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 that's GPL nonsense. Yeah. Uh, troll, troll, troll. Anyway, right, uh, moving on. So this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware. And Entroware are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 1604 and 1704, soon to be 1710 when that's released, probably before the next episode, I think. Uh, we'll have to check on that. And they are a really cool company, basically. And if you're in the UK and you want a laptop that's going to work with Linux or a desktop or a server even, then do check them out, entroware.com. They care about Linux. They care about Linux users. They... I've got machines that are suitable for anyone, basically, all the way from pretty basic machines that are good for web browsing and stuff, all the way through to hardcore dedicated graphics with the latest NVIDIA chips um, that are suitable for graphic designers and 3D artists and video editing and machine learning, that sort of thing. And everything's customizable, especially their desktops, which you can customize completely. Uh, they ship to the United Kingdom, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of their cool machines, then mention us at checkout. There's a box there you can put in late night Linux, and then they know that we sent you. So do check out entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. So you may have noticed that Ike is a little bit worse for wear, a little bit tired, bless him. And that's because he's been to New York. Wow. Concrete jungle where dreams are made. Oh, 
So that was for the Ubuntu rally. So Ike, tell us all about it. I escaped. <laughs> I'm now I'm now back home. I'm now back home. <laughs> it was it was real, man. They had like flashing lights in a room. And they just kept injecting <laughs> some stuff into me and saying, what's the greatest desktop? It was, it was creepy. Um, yeah, so I was out in New York for a week. Uh, Canonical invited me over. And you can see how much it was drummed into me because I can now say that company name right. Um, it's no longer Canonical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was there mainly to work on the Snap integration into the Solar software center and meet lots of cool and interesting people um as well as martin and alan yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it, was, it was pretty fun actually um i am completely exhausted at this moment in time though like even a few minutes ago i caught myself almost falling asleep um oh thanks thanks a lot man yeah, yeah no you're welcome you're welcome <laughs> glad to see you enjoy the show as uh, well then yeah no like that's literally how tired i am it's i've done this whole time travel thing now for a week it's completely <laughs> man i don't know what time it's supposed to be here but i don't understand why it's dark <laughs> <laughs> but you were already in a pretty fucked up routine anyway weren't you yeah like i i got back into the vampire routine uh for a week and a half beforehand so it wouldn't hit me so hard when i was out there now that part worked fine. <laughs> I hadn't considered after. Yeah. So like I'd inverted my time zone. So I was off by a couple of hours and then now I'm back. Like my body's like, I, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm very, very confused, but something about snaps. So what was the kind of day to day there? Were you, um, was it talks and like conference style or was it like hackathon, you know, like sprint style where you would all just sit and code in? Bit of all of the above. So we had to be downstairs, uh, 8 30 in the morning to the plenary. I had never heard this word in my life until before then. It's like, you, you've got to meet us down in the plenary. Uh huh. What's a plenary? <laughs> um, but it was like a, basically a big hall. It was like, like being at school, do you know, when you go for class registration in the mornings in the hall, it was it was like that. And then you'd have some lightning talk, so people would be talking about various topics. And then there was a lot of rooms up on the 14th floor and a couple of other floors, all topical almost, like desktops, naps, uh, something to do with cloudy desktop-y stuff. Like my brain sort of fuzzed over when interpreting those signs. I worked in cloud for years. I don't need to read them anymore. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And then we'd have like lunch and dinners and then we'd go off with each other and not go to the pubs. <laughs> uh, we didn't go to the pubs at all. We were sober the entire time. No, you went to Irish bars or Irish bars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, went to a place called Muldoon's. Um, poor, poor Woodby and Popey was just, they'd been walking out and I was walking out for a smoke at the same time. And I saw them and I was like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to go find somewhere to get a bit of work done. Um, I might have derailed that. Like slightly derailed that. <laughs> they were supposed to be getting ready for like the final beaters. And it turned out this Irish pub actually was an Irish pub. It wasn't just like an Irish themed pub, you know, like where they put a shamrock in the Guinness and you look at them and want to murder them. It wasn't one of those places. Um, it turned out it was legitimately Irish and had bar staff from Cavan. So may have had a few drinks there. Just, just a couple. Did they serve dinner in a drawer? Uh, no, like, but that was an optional extra. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, in terms of actual work then, how much work did you get done on the, on the snaps in the solar software center? 
So by the time I got to my demo, I was actually able to show snaps and native packages alongside each other um, and actually able to install them. So the, the there was a couple of things missing from the demo, like having the progress bars and stuff rehooked up. Um, but it was actually working, and I think I got like seven pull requests into SnapD, another one into SnapDglib. So in terms of progress made, we actually did make progress, and there was a branch of the software center now that can work with snaps or native packages, and it doesn't favor one over the other. They're just backends for it now. Sounds like really, really good progress there. And if you had been on your own for a week and, and you know had those facilities available to you, do you think you would have made the same amount of progress or does having that network effect and people to ask and, and why have you really help, you know, get to that, you know, get to the position you, you did get to? I think having them around you helps having people that you can bounce questions off of at the very least. Um, just so you can sit there and, you know, even chat about some of this stuff over food, you know, I think that does help a lot. Um, it's, it's, it's almost like having the dynamic of an office environment. Uh, but one that works. <laughs> How different is it to be there IRL with people as opposed to just on Telegram or IRC or whatever? Like, d- does it make that huge difference? Because you can surely just ask questions on on some sort of text chat or even have a hangout. Like, you know, does it really make the difference? Is it really worth it? It's good for networking. No, it's good for networking. And I think you misinterpreted what I just said about there. Like I, I see it as a, an office environment that actually works efficiently because you can have some office environments that don't work that are very cubicle based, right? Uh, it felt more like one that did work. You had people there who were experts in their field. If you wanted to talk to them, you could just literally go and talk to them, not worrying about when they needed to be on IRC or Telegram or Google plus or bug reports. I mean, you can talk about something in like under a minute and know which direction it should go in instead of having this disparate conversation spread over days of when people are available. Yeah, like we were saying about um, chatting over food, I know the topic obviously isn't all going to be work, 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 but Mm. I I work in an office and I'll go and have a cup of tea and in just pondering about it, someone might walk in, I'll chat to them. And in it, just just having that ability to, like say, bounce off someone or air it and realize that in describing it, you've got to a sort of better solution. Whereas if you sit on your own and just fester on a problem, it, it never gets solved, really. So yeah. I can see what you mean about that. Yeah, having over human beings about, and like you say, just you say something out loud and you might even realize in that moment that it's completely stupid. Or you might realize, oh, this is what I actually need to make it work. Uh, and it is efficient in that sense. And Again, just getting to meet all these people who you're speaking to over IRC and actually putting names to faces, it, it's nice. And getting to know the people behind the keyboard. And um, what about the sort of, what did Canonical get out of it? Because from your point of view, you've been able to pull information out of the key people in Canonical and, and working on Ubuntu Snaps and things and get your project further forward. And obviously that um, benefits the community for you. And I'm wondering... Did Canonical sort of at the very end of the week say, right, we've now achieved X, Y, Z in the cloud, or we've done this with the server? You know, have they got something that they were really focused on? I don't think so as much. I mean, there was lots of groups working on lots of things, right? But Canonical obviously benefited from all of us being there. So in terms of in terms of Solus having snaps, it wasn't just about Solus having snaps. It's one, there, yes, there's a little bit of a PR angle to it, right? You know, like everyone gets a bit of publicity from this. But even in the talk I gave on the Friday, it was like, why Solus needs snaps? And it's like, well, 
this is why snaps need Solus, you know, controversially, because Solus is now the first distro outside of the Ubuntu family to ship with full confinement by default. That's very, very good. It's also one of the weirdest distros out there, you know, where like the shunned BSD of Linux distros. So if you can get it to work on Ubuntu and you can get it to work on Solus, you can get it working pretty much anywhere. And that's sort of the value add that we bring back to the table. So it wasn't just all about engineers going out there and benefiting only themselves. Like everyone was benefiting everybody else out there. Now, I heard a rumor, and mm. it is nothing but a rumor, that this cost Shuttleworth or Canonical, whichever way you want to look mm. at it, seven figures to do this. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, because that was not a cheap hotel. There were a number of people flown out and all the rest of it. So if you're looking at over a million dollars to do this, the question is, was it really worth it? A company that is supposed to be slimming down, that's that's effectively fired and laid off a load of people to slim down and make itself more attractive to investors. Mm. Um, should they really be blowing like a million plus on events like this? I wouldn't look at it as blowing it. Um, one of the themes that I saw came in, coming about this week, it, it kind of felt like Canonical was getting back to their old selves, where it was very much about the community engagements and enabling the relationships between various communities and getting away from the silo culture that led to some of the decisions they made in the past, like forcing a new desktop and people on upgrade. You know, it it sort of felt like they was trying to get beyond that and get back to the way that they used to be. Well, hang on. They're just about to do the same thing again. They're going to force a new desktop on people who've just about got used to fucking Unity. Well, now they're going to force them to Technically, they're reverting a decision, if you look at it that way. Well, reverting implies Marte rather than... Right, but if you put a plaster on a sticker and then you take a plaster back off the sticker, you've not been cut twice, you've been cut once. Ooh. Right? <laughs> if you want to look at it that you, way you're eating a lot of Chinese takeaway while you're over there uh, there was a lot of fortunes <laughs> going around <laughs> yeah well uh, it, it does feel like they care more about the community again mm. um, which is sort of contrary to what I thought this whole reshuffle this um, uh, efficiency savings and all that corporate bollocks was about I thought it was about abandoning the community and I suppose this is certainly a message that they have not done that. Mm. But is are they protesting too much, I wonder? Or am I just being cynical? No, I think it, I think we've all been a bit cynical towards Canonical for years. And it became the thing to do, you know. We hate a thing because Canonical did it, you know. And don't get me wrong, there were some times when they did some really fucking stupid shit. But I think they're aware of that. And what I saw this week was a bit like mending some broken bridges, it felt like, and enabling relationships that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been there before. Like I've get to, got to meet some people out there that I never would have had the opportunity to meet before. And actually getting to know those people, the simple things like getting to know them, actually having a laugh with them, it helps in my own upstream relations with those people. If I am interacting in the snip, the SnapD GitHub. I now know the people I'm engaging with. And that makes it so much easier to do things. You you don't have to second guess what a person means because then it's no longer just text on a screen. You know how they are as an individual. So I think I think there was a lot of value to this week. Well, yeah, Shuttleworth has always been in it for the long game, hasn't he? Mm. He was never into making loads of money straight away. And he, he seems to be a man who knows how to play the long game. And this sort of event seems to be part of that strategy, doesn't it? Because as you say, you invest that money and time now, 
um, and you getting to know people building that community. Um, and you know, you're just one of many people who yeah. are there and elementary and all the rest of it, building that community there. And it, it's, it's going to prove valuable in the long term for canonical and once they get snap to be the default for basically all linux distros then it's an easier sell to their um corporate clients uh, of these um information boards and all the rest of it where they're pushing snap um and ubuntu core and all the rest of it so yeah i can see i can see it as an investment but it's he must be very um i don't know very confident in the future of snap and everything because that am i right in thinking that that snap was like a massive part like the major part of it and there were some peripheral things happening this this week that you've been there but snap was like the real core of the event for me at least snap is obviously the big thing um i mean there was a lot of cloud work going on there some vm work some container work uh juju jazz there was loads of stuff going on there yeah kubernetes and stuff yeah like that was all going on but yeah i mean snaps were definitely definitely a big thing this week uh, it, it it is nice to know, like from my own angle, that he is committed to it, um, and uh, so is the company as well. Because if I'm banking my own hopes on it, then I need to be confident as well. So it is definitely nice to see that that you know there is expenditure in terms of snaps. So yeah, yeah. So the one thing that I've got to ask you is: before you went into this week, mm. you saw snaps as solving a problem, which was the third party software that you can't package yourself as a maintainer because it's mm. proprietary and stuff like that. Having spent a week being indoctrinated by them, um, (laughs) can you see Snaps being a a packaging solution for things that you don't have to use it for and instead of your package or or whatever you're working on next? Uh, Not in Solus, no. So we're still going for third-party stuff because, as I've said from the beginning, so for me, it's not so much about how to package things because I still to this day see the white package stuff we have in Solus as the better all-round solution in any one of those cases. It's it's just better for packaging. But in terms of stuff that can't be distributed, we need something that works for everyone, not just for one set of individuals. And I still see Canonical and Snap as the path to that. And I don't see Flatpak and it doesn't really, ha- it doesn't really have any corporate backing behind it. I mean, it's got corporate employees behind Flatpak, but it doesn't have corporate backing behind the project. Whereas I see Snap trying to outreach with other projects and get the ball rolling, get discussions going. And I see them making compromises for developers and users alike. And I think that's kind of important if we want something that's going to actually be universal in the end. So. I don't want it to replace native Solus packages, but for stuff that we can or won't ship, um, I think that's that's kind of important. All right. Well, one thing that I asked you last time we spoke about mm. this, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe a month ago, um, was about whether Canonical see Ubuntu as a, a snap-only future, basically. Like, are they going to abandon devs? And you seem to think that they weren't going to. Well, now you've spent a week, as I say, being indoctrinated. <laughs> what What is your feeling? about that do you think that they are gonna is that the ultimate goal to move to snap only um i'm not sure i mean obviously you can't speak for them Mm. i'm just asking Mm. for your feeling of what you picked up like you know in the air while you were there so i've now got more familiarity with the code base um i mean i could see how it could be done like i can see that it's very very simple for snappy to do that and i know it supports kernel modules and i've seen hints of code about bootloaders in there as well so 
I mean, that comes from like the snappy core stuff. Um, I could see how it could be done. Um, I, I couldn't see the, the current desktop stuff being done as it, but I wouldn't rule it out completely, but I don't think it'd be something that would happen. I think you need a couple of years before something like that could happen. So I'm not ruling it out completely. Well, I'll have to ask Popey and Wimpy about that next time I see him. I think if you did that, it would be something that was based on the Ubuntu core desktop stuff, but I think it'd be something slightly separate, something more like um, more like a client OS with snaps on top of it that's based on the desktop distro. So you still had the separate distro and OS concepts. I could see something like that potentially, but I didn't see any focus on that this week. I saw a focus on snaps and other developers and making stuff work and making things integrated. Fair enough. Well, it sounds like you had a very good time and I'm pretty jealous that you got to go to New York. I've never been. Maybe one day. So uh, let's move on a bit of admin. Thank you to everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. And if you want to join them, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support and uh, help us out there. There's Patreon and PayPal and Bitcoin and a few other ways you can uh, help us out with the DigitalOcean affiliate link, that sort of thing. Uh, and if you want to get in contact, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash contact. Has anyone suggested a uh, a Patreon sort of bonus benefit thing? No, no one has. Oh, no one has. That. Um, and that has <laughs> reminded me, even though it's not in the notes, I changed the Telegram link because we were getting just ridiculous numbers of spammers. So now, what did I change it to? Telegram group. So latenightlinux.com slash telegram group. Or you can just go to slash contact and get a link there. So that kind of sucks that I had to do that. But there you go. Uh, that's the price of uh, getting more members than Ubuntu podcast. Ha, 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 ha. Finally. Uh, but it's funny, like, you always want something, and then you get it, and it's like, oh, right, yeah, then you get a load of spammers, and that sucks. Um, anyway, right, let's move on. So last week we talked about the recent release of Replicant, which is the totally FOSS version of Android. And I decided to give you two the honor of trying it out, Jesse and Phelim, as you had a compatible device, the Samsung Galaxy S3. So tell us about how much of a nightmare it was. Well, luckily the install was fairly easy. Uh, probably because mine was already rooted with lineage on it already, but... Um, that was simply just copy over a zip and wipe the various bits and pieces of the OS, which I'd forgotten how to do for so long that I just wiped everything and I didn't care. So, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is it just a case of getting twerp flashed onto it, wiping it, uh, pushing the, the zip and flashing it? Yeah, essentially. Or in my case, wiping it, realizing that you've just wiped the zip off the drive, then <laughs> trying to yeah. dig out your sd card and get it onto that and then install that into the phone and then yeah then you're fine uh, well my pro tip is if you're in twerp you can use adb so you can just adb push the zip up that's what i always do go into twerp wipe it then go back then adb push the you well for me nowadays it is the lineage zip the root zip and the um open g apps zip and so just adb push so that's my pro tip but anyway so it's basically very straightforward to install if you've installed custom ROMs before. And was that the same for you, Jesse? Yeah, I was coming off the back of a lineage uh, 
yeah, lineage, lineage uh, install. And so exactly the same. Uh, I wasn't as stupid as failing, but given my DD, DD fiasco, I can hardly uh, point fingers. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I did that. Uh, for those who aren't so familiar with routing ROMs and um, routing phones and installing ROMs and things, the reference to Twerp is the, the Team Win Recovery Project, and it's it's a, a recovery you can put on the phone, and it, it's more advanced than the standard one that comes with Android phones. You can do clever stuff like, like Phelan was saying, you can wipe certain partitions and wipe the cache and things like this. So it just allows you to install the zips and what have you. Um, and then, yeah, once installed, you get to boot through what can only be described as the worst logo in Android. The Replicant logo just needs to be shot and done again. I like it. I think it was oh. cool. Hang on, before we get to this, can I just pull you up on something there? This idea of rooting phones, that that is a phrase that really fucking annoys me. And I think it it really um, confuses people because you don't necessarily have to root a phone, especially if it's a Nexus or a phone with an unlockable bootloader. Root is not necessarily even part of it. And this idea of rooting, and it just annoys me, but presumably with an S3, you do have to root it first to get access to unlock the bootloader so i mean without spending too much time on that because uh, you know it's individual to each phone but samsung's are very popular like is it a pain in the ass to unlock the bootloader do you have to root it um oh god it's so long since i did mine uh i don't think it was but i remember i had to use a windows pc back in the day i think because you had to use odin or something weird because for me it's always been just literally fast boot oem unlock done no i don't think you could do that yeah, you're starting on Nexuses, though, aren't you, really? Yes, that yeah. I've specifically chosen Nexus devices, and the same with the Bloody OnePlus down. devices. So, I mean, you, you are right. There's there's a difference between unlocking the phone and, and routing the phone, and that's, that's a fair d- delineation to make. Um, in this particular instance, there's a lot of things that Replicant wants to do that needs root access, and I'm sure we'll come on to it, but, yeah, you're right. There There is a difference, and my Samsung is just rooted anyway and I, I use that phrase it is so i mean the the, the boot up you, you boot up and you go it prepares the 87 apps which is all the sort of the the lowest level of things you can have contacts calendar telephone uh clock blah 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 um and then it it comes in set the time zone i hadn't put my sim in by this point uh and then you get to add the lock code these are all very standard sort of um android things and the thing that gets me is that because i use you know, you get very used to your version of Android, whether it be from your OEM or whether it be Lineage or what have you. And while a lot of things are the same, you know, the app drawer, the basic apps, double swiping down to get to settings and things like this, I sort of forget some of the setup things. So my phone, my standard phone doesn't have an SD card. And since using my S3, they've changed the way that you can put your SD card in. And so it asks you if you want to set it up to be portable storage, and it suggests pictures and music to move between your phone and your computer, or as an internal storage, which means that you can install apps to it, which if you've got a phone that has quite a limited amount of internal storage, very useful. But so they're not really replicant things, they're more just android getting better as as it goes up yeah it's sort of like almost like a raid type deal isn't it it uses the sd card and the storage together and it just views it as one big pool of storage yeah yeah so very clever for that um as i said you know you get into it and i've sent you guys a video with a basic kind of uh you know to opening it up and and swiping between screens and opening apps and things just so you get a, a view of it and it's clunky it's not 
smooth. It's not slick. Having uh, so, I just checked quickly what was on the phone before I wiped it in case there was anything, and it was a a blank install of Lineage, which is always good. You know, always leave your phone with a nice fresh install on it, and. I, I dicked around with that for like five, ten minutes and was fine with it and then put uh, Replicant on. And the difference is is obvious. I mean, the Samsung is not a new phone. The S3 is not a new phone, but but it's horrendous with Replicant on. Well, Phelan, you used that phone for a very long time before you smashed the screen. And yeah. did, you, did you notice it being horrendously slow compared to Lineage then? I did, yeah. Um, yeah, you can't really use it because even when you were changing language during the very first install screen, when you were picking your time zone and stuff, when you scroll down to a different language, um, you know, say English, and then you jump down, it kept flashing the screen black. And I thought, oh, crap, is the power on the screen fading? I thought maybe it was my phone was like really starting to give up. But then I discovered that it was then rechanging the the UI to be that language for the options, you know, like the OK button would be, uh, well, whatever the okay version in that language was. <laughs> I was going to give an example, but I was like, I don't know any examples for that. So, um, yeah, so like that was actually the whole screen gone black. I thought it like it literally had cut the screen out and back on, you know, like a half second flash. Um, but that's kind of where the, it went worse from there. Like where you're, you're going in between screens. Like one of the big problems I had was there's F droid on it already, which is great. But um, there was uh, the privilege um, account set up on it is a separate package that was looking to be updated. And I couldn't update it because when I clicked on it, for a start, it took about seven years to download all the, the updates. But then uh, it wouldn't let me upgrade the app because it was signed by a different key. And then when I went to uninstall that, it uh, crashed. So I was stuck with that and I couldn't change it. Yeah, I would I ditto that. It said, you must update this one. I was like, ooh, always good to update. But you have to uninstall it first. How yeah. do I uninstall it? And anything you did just crashed F-Droid. And so I just left it because psh, it's not going to stay on there very long. So it, the performance was terrible. Um, hardware compatibility was pretty shocking as well. No Wi-Fi, I'm led to believe. Yeah. No yes. Yeah, so, so as I said in the intro, I didn't put my SIM card in straight away. I thought, oh, I'll just have a little look on Wi-Fi. And, you know, you can download apps and get 90% of a phone nowadays just through Wi-Fi. But it, you can't turn the Wi-Fi on f- that's built into the phone. You have to use a dongle. I thought, well, that's unusual, but not, in, well, not unusual. It's n- unheard of. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I thought, you know, I, I can get around this. I've got OTG cables. I've got um, a thousand Wi-Fi dongles. One of them must work. And as I was plugging Wi-Fi dongle after Wi-Fi dongle, I thought, right, this is not the way to do it. So I looked up on the Replicant site and it says, these are the three Wi-Fi dongles that we support. <laughs> and they're like, you look at them, you, if you go and buy them, they're like 35, 40 quid for these entirely free, obviously, hardware Wi-Fi dongles. And, and they support big- G. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're big ass fuckers as well i was just like who would ever plug a cable in then plug this in then have like a little area on it it, it was absolutely ridiculous. so basically no wi-fi uh no bluetooth but i'm very surprised well okay no wi-fi no bluetooth that makes sense but i'm very very surprised that you could get mobile internet working from the sim you know surely that requires a blob i thought it was illegal to have that to be free software so how the fuck did that work no that's only fcc that would say that so i'm not sure how it stands in america but you can also get one oh no you can't you can't get it certified in the states so i don't know how they're doing that yeah good point 
but it's it's not necessarily um in other countries so you could probably get one that would work in the US but uh you know as long as you don't tell anybody right so this S3 has a baseband that has got dry well there is a free software driver that works well enough to get some sort of 3G connectivity with it then yeah work fine for me yeah right. yeah it was getting h plus is that fast yeah, yeah i got that as well yeah it's hsdpa plus that's probably the the most that that old phone supports then so yeah well, that's, yeah. that's pretty reasonable then and there was a version for the uh the i9305 which is the one with 4g but i don't have a 4g version so i'm not sure if that would have worked but they've got a full image there so you'd imagine it would all right so yeah. the performance problems presumably are down to the fact that they are running free drivers for their CPU and GPU, which are just not as good as the proprietary ones then. Yeah, I'd say that's where it's all coming down to, to be honest. And that, on a, a fairly low-power device like that, you need hardware acceleration and stuff. Otherwise, it's just going to be shocking performance. So it sounds like it's just a complete fucking non-starter then. Okay, it sounds like it's a non-starter, and I'm now going to play you... Because I had my uh, my sim in it, and uh, my girlfriend uh, called me, and I had to put the phone down and go and call her on another line. And so what I did was I got her to call me back, and I recorded it on my normal phone, so I can play it to you now, and I'll give you the audio, Joe, so you can put it in the notes. Okay. So uh, can you uh, tell me what the weather's like? Can you tell me what the weather's like? Okay, thank you very much. You see, the main problem there, Jesse, is that she's American. So, of course, you're not going to understand her. <laughs> I couldn't hear her over the sound of the Terminator. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I immediately am keeping this phone forever because if all calls sound like that, that is so cool. It's exactly like the Star, Star Wars drone mo- noise when they're searching the planet on Hoth there. It is, yeah. yes. It's fantastic. The, the funny thing is, though, is that I actually, I actually heard more from the recording than I did when she was actually speaking. I think maybe the <laughs> maybe the speaker. I, I don't know. It's, I could. I, I. It was horrible listening to it, and I had to put the phone down. And what was really annoying was that um, while I was dicking around with it at work, a colleague called me, and I was like, oh, "Hello," and he was like, "I have." Like, right. Sorry, I have to call you back. Bike. Find me a landline. Let's get back. It, it's just. It doesn't work as a phone, let alone a f- like it doesn't work with Wi-Fi. It doesn't work. It's just it's just not quite ready for mainstream. Right, but this is not the fault of the replicant developers, is it? Let's no. face it. Let's let's point the finger of blame where it fucking belongs, and that is at the well at Samsung in this case for making everything require fucking proprietary drivers. Samsung, FCC, everybody requiring all these things like that. There is no reason why this couldn't have its stuff released years after it's been out like there can't be anything of value in this phone anymore and yes fair enough they might say oh well you won't buy the latest samsung 8 because you might have your s3 fuck off it's bollocks they could just open these things up they could they could be flogged all around the world there's no point to chuck this thing in a bin it's a decent phone i'd still happily be using mine if i hadn't smashed it to bits um, you know, because the version of Replicant is actually the version of uh, Sanjay Mod that I actually had on it, because it was Sanjay Mod that I had on it prior to that, because Lineage hadn't come out yet, and it was fine. It was perfect. It did all the things I needed it to do. 
Yeah, but just with those proprietary blobs to make it actually work properly. Yeah, and it's not like they were doing anything exciting, though. See, that's the thing. It's not like, you know, somebody was, you know, being held back, you know, Samsung would be crushed if they were to release this amazing source code. I mean, it's probably not even Samsung, to be honest. It'll be a chip vendor, somebody. Yeah. Well, my usual question is, are you going to keep it on the device? And the answer is obviously not. Because well, no, now that I heard that phone call noise, I'm definitely keeping it. That's awesome. <laughs> Daily driver time. Yeah. Fucking damn right. I think the phone would be ideal for me. What do you reckon? <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't yeah, notice a such nice things. excuse to not use it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm, well, it sounds like Replicant... Uh, mm. It's a bit of a sort of React OS style, like nice idea in theory, but when you actually use it, not so much. Yeah, it's a shame. It, it's better than the herd. <laughs> oh, is that the best I can say? This is not how compliments work. <laughs> They're going to put that on their website, aren't they? Better than the herd. <laughs> IGN, 10 out of 10, better than the herd. <laughs> Yeah. Well, if anyone out there has, has got it working better on a different device that's got better hardware support or whatever, then do let us know. But um, yeah, it sounds like Replicant's just one of those things that, um, yeah, I'm glad I didn't bother buying a phone to check it out, put it that way. Yeah, it's a project that's screaming out for some hardware for design for it. I think the, what the, what they've done underneath is perfectly fine. It's really good. And uh, they just need the hardware support for it. Well, we almost went an entire show without mentioning the Librem 5, but um, in theory, the Librem 5 could run it. So here's hoping that that finds another half a million dollars or whatever it needs. Uh, but with that, then, we better wrap it up. Uh, so we'll be back in two weeks when I have not done the maths on this, but I think we'll probably be talking about the Ubuntu release because it will probably be out by then or it'll be pending. Who knows? If not, I'll be talking about Linux on my cool Windows 8 tablet. Uh, but until then, then, I have been Joe. I've been Jesse. I've been Phil. And I've been in New York, very confused, but still achy. <laughs> <laughs> See you later.